Hi and welcome back to the She Mentors podcast. My name is Ali Aidy and today I'm chatting with Lisa Malloy. She's a workplace psychologist and a leadership development coach and she's also a member of She Mentors and gets frequently booked out for mentor hours as you might imagine. She was also a speaker at our leadership event back in Melbourne last year. Uh, and today, Lisa will be sharing a framework that she uses with clients as she helps professionals and business owners uh, to have difficult conversations with their team members. So we're talking about performance reviews, calling out toxic behaviour, maybe a complaint someone's made, or it could just be as simple as someone shows up late every day and you need to call it out. Lisa stresses the importance of having these conversations in the moment uh, and not being tempted to brush them under the carpet like lots of us do from time to time, I'm sure you can relate. And she sees a huge benefit of this type of leadership style, uh, not just for the leader, but for the entire team and for the entire company. I hope you get lots of value from this. Um, let's dive straight in. Lisa, thank you so much for being on the She Mentors podcast with us. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So we're here today to talk all about difficult conversations, which we were just saying off air is a really important topic to cover right now in light of everything that we've been through mm -hmm. this year already. So um, before we launch into that, because we've actually got lots to cover, do you mm -hmm. want to tell everyone all about you and your business? Sure. Um, so my background is that I'm a psychologist, like a registered qualified psychologist with a master's in organisational psychology. And I've pretty much spent most of my career working in consulting in the leadership space, I guess you could say. So lots of leadership development programs and lots of assessments and anything to do with kind of getting the right people in the right roles at that leadership level. So that's a very abridged version, <laughs> but lots, lots in the leadership space. And probably if I was to tell you a bit more about where I'm at now and my business now, I've sort of discovered over the years that I've got a bit of a niche. You know, they always talk about finding your niche and what it is yeah. that you're passionate about. And my, my niche or the stuff I like working with is still in the leadership space, but more around things like difficult conversations so and feedback conversations and anything to do with almost like the, the many ways that leaders need to communicate with their people and their peers and so on. Um, I was just talking, actually just ran a session this morning and I was saying to them my little line that I've kind of talked about a lot is that a lot of leadership happens through conversations and it might not be a face-to-face, -face. it could be through Slack or email or something like that. But, yeah, a lot of it happens through that communication, right? Mm when you think about it so getting it right can make a big difference yeah and we actually had an event on leadership earlier in the year didn't we mm. and you kind of took us through this framework which we're going to touch on today but it is so important to have these kind of conversations when you're in leadership and we've talked as well about how most people aren't trained mm -hmm. <laughs> to be a manager so you mm -hmm. kind of just left here thinking oh my god I don't know how to manage these people yes. that's really common isn't it not being trained yeah it is and I think one of the things I often talk about too is a lot of people are hired for what they know so they're brought in because of their technical expertise or certain qualifications and they're what we would call an individual contributor where their work makes the difference but they're not leading people. And then they do really well and they get promoted to leadership and they are often just kind of thrown in. Like, and again, some of the training I've been running around feedback, I've, I've asked people, like, put your hand up if you were hired for what you know and everyone puts their hand up. And then talking about the fact that they've often then been put into a position where they're now supposed to coach and develop and guide people to perform instead of doing any of the work themselves but again they haven't been taught so yeah it's a really common 
And there's a lot of, I suppose, a lot of people who work in my space, we often end up working with people in technical roles who've moved into leadership and need a bit of help. So finance and engineering and IT and tech and all of those ones where there's often like a right and wrong answer <laughs> now and now things get a bit more blurry. So, yeah. So, yeah, I'm pretty passionate about that, that a lot of people don't get taught the basic stuff, I guess, when they move yeah. into those roles. Yeah, and it's a natural progression. You get promoted, you're expected to manage teams and then yeah. you're in at the deep end. Part of the reason that I've ended up working in this space too is because I would see the same gaps come up time and time again. So I've done a lot of leadership assessments where we say, here's what good looks like and let's assess you against all of these different capabilities or skills that are important for our leaders. And so many times the same things would come up around things like communication. You know, people would give feedback to their leaders around, you know, we need you to listen more or ask more questions or communicate differently or we're not sure what the vision is or where we're going. It all just kept coming back to the same thing. And that's where I had my little aha moment, I think, and I thought, well, those those are the skills that are core to a lot of leaders doing well. And they're also the skills that I've been taught as a psych and as a counsellor. And as a coach and kind of had this, yeah, silly little aha moment that felt really obvious, like, oh, I can teach people some of the things that I do <laughs> in my job mm. and put that leadership frame around it because of that experience. And, yeah, that's like a really obvious thing for me to do. Why didn't I think of that five years ago? <laughs> I'm so effective. Always the way. <laughs> so effective. Yeah. Yeah, and no, and no imposter syndrome, which is another interesting part of my journey. So that feeling of when you do work in leadership and you often – feel a bit like well I'm not a leader managing a huge team so you know am I looking like an imposter here and yeah I don't worry about that as much now in this space because this is the stuff that's my bread and butter and yeah what I do as a psych as well. Yeah you do so much amazing work especially for our members as well so Lisa's in our membership and she's constantly booked out for mental <laughs> hours we were discussing that actually. Um, so what kind of are the biggest challenges then you see that leaders faced um, particularly at the moment like what kind of things are people struggling to talk about? at the moment, particularly with COVID and um, just going on what I'm hearing. Yeah, it's a bit mixed, but I am hearing, well, apart from the whole adjusting to the working from home and all that stuff, probably actually there's probably a theme running through that around how leaders are managing to figure out what's working for all of their people when they can't see them mm. <laughs> day in and day out. So um, I think actually it might have been one of our other members, Larissa, who talked about, Oh no, talking talked about taking the emotional temperature. Like when you work in an office, you can walk through and see how people are tracking, but at the moment you can't. So I'm hearing a bit around that, just people, I guess, leaders not knowing how people are tracking. Um, having to really cater for individual differences, I reckon is a big challenge as well. Some people are comfortable working at home. Some people are hating working at home. Everyone has a different context and environment there's children there's not children you know there's dogs there's cats <laughs> there's a whole lot of things some people can find it really easy to focus and others can't so there's almost that whole big bucket around how do you nuance your leadership style to suit all of these different scenarios that are playing out now for people over which you have very little insight a lot of the time you can't kind of be there to check in in the same way um, I think the other thing I'm hearing a lot of is how much do you communicate so do we communicate a lot? Do we communicate less? And from the employee's perspective, I don't know if you've heard this, Ali, but I'm hearing some people saying, oh, there's just so many extra meetings now. We have to check in all the time. Mm. I just need to get my work done. And then I hear other people saying, I don't hear anything. Like they're feeling really disconnected and not part of it, which again comes back to individual kind of preferences a lot of the time. Mm. So, yeah, I think the, the core thing is that how do you adapt to suit your people and 
have the big conversations around how people are feeling and tracking as well because I'm also hearing a lot of the word fatigue in the last few months and getting a lot more people reaching out about that. Mm. Well, I was going to say, like, what are the sort of ramifications of not having these conversations? Like, what are you kind of seeing in workplaces? Mm. Um, generally or more at the moment? Generally. Yeah. I, mean, I know I've heard people saying they feel disengaged and kind of concerned and worried and, like, mm. unmotivated. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the key piece. If I was talking about more the current situation, I think there's uh, the people who sort of stick their head in the sand and don't have these conversations just don't really know what's going on for people and that can impact engagement, motivation, performance. And it's funny, isn't it, because you can talk about things like engagement and motivation but they're very clearly linked to performance as well, mm. like the actual outcomes that a group delivers or an individual delivers. Um, if I was going to step back and think about we're on our topic of difficult conversations more broadly, uh, gosh, I've seen so many things <laughs> that have come from not having, like, the conversations that need to be had and, unfortunately, a lot of really negative impacts. So sometimes it's just a case of people just disengage and just kind of check out. Um, I've worked with teams where things have become quite toxic because there's been things that haven't been addressed and have just been left to sit for a long time and, yeah, people, people don't like working in that kind of environment, so they often try to talk, talk about it or bring it up and then lose a bit of hope as well. Um, and a performance gets really impacted as well. So there's, you know, there's so many, so many impacts of not, not kind of bringing up these things. Mm. There's a book I read a little while ago called The Good Fight by a lady called Leanne Davey, and she talks about what she calls conflict debt. And the idea is that if you don't address the conflict, which often starts very small, like a little niggly thing, it grows like debt, <laughs> like a credit card bill. It grows over time and it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and it just builds up and doesn't go away. And I think that's pretty true, actually, on my experience. A lot of people hope these things will go away, but they just don't. Yeah, mm. I totally agree. And I think you start, you remember something that someone's done and then you start thinking, oh, I'll let that one go. And yes. then it happens again or it happens again, you know, later on. And then you're like, oh, but yes. they did that like twice before and now I'm really cross about it. But you haven't addressed it initially. Yes. Therefore, it's harder to go back. <laughs> and that's what happens with leaders. They'll see something small and they'll think, oh, I'll just let it go. It was just one time and then it will happen again, but it's small. And then it will happen again. And they think, oh, well, I didn't bring it up before. So how am I supposed to bring it up now? And I challenge that with them to say, well, look, you can still bring it up and here's how you might position that. And, in fact, on my call this morning I was doing um, like a coaching group call with a group who I've just run some feedback conversations training and this exact thing came up for two of the participants and one of them described it as death by a thousand paper cuts. Like the little things happen over and over and over and over and then they become a big problem. And so he had to bring it up. And for him, it was um, kind of like secondhand feedback that had come from others about how someone was performing in his team, which made it more tricky because he had to come at it from that, I heard this perspective. So, yeah, we had a good chat about how to tackle that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's really common to avoid it. And then it seems small. It becomes big. Then it feels like, well, why didn't I bring it up before? They're going to say that. Why didn't I bring it up before? <laughs> but you know you can can still bring it up like I think it's okay to acknowledge hey I should have brought this up earlier but here I am now let's have the discussion now 
Yeah. And at our leadership event, um, Jane Taylor, who's also in the membership, she made a really good point and it really stuck with me about um, developing an inquiring mindset. So when you're managing a team and if someone turns up late every day, instead of just assuming they can't be bothered to come to work or they've overslept or they're, you know, disengaged, you actually start asking them more about their family life and their personal life to get an understanding of who they are. And it mm. could actually be they've got, you know, babies that they need to attend to or small yeah. kids that they're dropping off to nursery, things like that. Yeah, yeah, I that really resonated with me too because I suppose when you think about going into what you might call a tricky conversation or a challenging conversation, um, if you can go into it with that really open mindset of what can I learn from this conversation and what don't I know, then, yeah, that's what Jane was referring to, that inquiring mindset. And absolutely, I guess there's we have a tendency as humans to make assumptions about other people's behaviour. <laughs> There's actually something called the fundamental attribution error, which is a very psyche kind of term, but it refers to the fact that when somebody behaves in a way that we don't think is good, we will immediately attribute their behaviour. This is not obviously all the time, but it's a bias to the person, to who they are, to their character. So if they're late, we'll think, oh, well, they're just a bit lazy or, you know, something to do with the person. But if we do the same thing that we attribute to that behaviour to the external situation, so, oh, it's because there was traffic or it's because of something else outside of me that I can't control. So isn't that funny? It's a bit of a bias that we have, you know, yeah. for them. It's about them and for us it's not about us. It's about something outside <laughs> of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, going in with that mindset of asking lots of questions and being really curious, you know, makes a huge difference. And because I've been doing so much training on this lately, I've got all these little quotes and things that I've been sharing. And one of them actually came from a client of mine who works in education. And um, we were talking about how to create the pause before you make an assumption and think about how you can open up to understanding the other person's perspective, you know, if there's someone you don't see eye to eye with. And she actually shared with me this principle they have in education called I wonder why and they use it with the kids to create curiosity. So they say, I wonder why the stars twinkle or I wonder why this happens out in the world. And she found that that was her little tagline that she then used. So every time she came across someone who's behaving a certain way or she wasn't sure what was happening, she stops and thinks, I wonder why. And it gives her a pause and thinks, you know, it's a reminder to be curious. Mm. Um, so those kind of little triggers, I always get people to think about what's a way that you can ask a question like, what don't I know about this situation? Or as a quote that I shared in this training last week was from someone called Kim Scott, who has a book called Radical Canna. And she talks about the fact that when someone has an emotional response as a leader, that is your cue to just keep asking questions until you figure out what's really going on for the person. Because there's always something going on beyond, you know, what seems to be the surface problem. Mm. I love that. I think that's such a good point to take a pause to really try and understand the situation and then if you are experiencing those like you know small things that that person has done over and over again and then they turn up late and you're like oh this is just all getting too much if you actually take a pause and think okay let's start asking some questions and see how they're feeling and what's going on externally I think that's really good probably a lot of people don't do that Well, and partly it's a bit of a human thing, right, because the way our brains work is that if there's uncertainty and ambiguity, we try to make sense of it. That's just what we do. We try to make sense of it. So your brain kind of creates these little stories (laughs) based on what you know or what connections it can make, and that's that's where assumptions come from and where bias comes from. Mm. It's like the brain taking a shortcut to make sense of something. Mm. So it's very human, very normal. So mm-hmm. it's it's having to be more intentional, you know, as Jane said, having an inquiring mind is kind of like an intentional way to go into things. Yeah. But what I do find is when people practice that through 
the skills and that's what I often end up talking about as well is that sometimes there's the mindset and then there's the skills but if you don't have the mindset but you try on the skills like you try asking questions or I'm just going to try being open and you know looking at their body language or whatever it is then often it leads to you developing the mindset because you start to notice things and then you kind of go oh okay that was really worthwhile I'll try that again next time so it's almost like you know that dance isn't it between your attitude which is what I mean by mindset and then the execution of it and they can work really well together Hmm. that makes sense it does yeah um and this obviously has like you know huge positive benefits for leadership like do you see that this kind of model like works really well for people you've worked with Mm. as in making sure you broach these conversations and yeah yeah, like this sort of framework and also the the mindset and attitude of the inquiring mind like are they are these like really what we should be kind of working towards as leaders in my view absolutely yes (laughs) Um, I'm a bit biased because this is a bit of a area of passion for me I guess um but I suppose one of the things to bring into that conversation this conversation is this idea of psychological safety so there's been lots and lots of research now to show that more psychologically safe environments lead to better performance better creativity and innovation you know a whole lot of like results for businesses as well and the concept of that just for people who don't understand is feeling safe enough to raise issues, um, challenge, you know, bring your ideas to the table without any fear of retribution either around and to be your whole self, right, so either around who you are or what it is that you're saying. And when you think about linking what we're talking about, having that open inquiring mind, well, you know, if you bring up an issue and then your leader shuts you down, (laughs) of course you're not likely to do it again, whereas if you bring up an issue or you talk about something that's going on and they ask questions and they show curiosity and they're genuinely non-judgmental and kind of just open to understanding, well, then that creates that feeling of safety, which then leads you to do that again. And so, you know, there's lots of benefits around people being more transparent and, you know, there's heaps and heaps of examples littered through all the literature around, for example, where people didn't have safety and it led to massive accidents and big problems in companies and airplane crashes and all sorts of stuff versus the ones where they do have that and Google did a lot of research on this actually around what makes the difference in a high-performing team and this was the number one factor for them. Mm. So, yes, everybody plays a role in making it safe but leaders are the ones who kind of set the benchmark, aren't they? Yeah. People look to them. That's probably the other thing that made me love working in this space is that a lot of leaders don't realise that everybody's watching them and noticing what they do. So the little things that they do send off signals to people as to what's okay and what's not okay and the things they say, which is where the difficult conversations come in as well, you know. If there's bad behaviour, for example, and it's not addressed by the leader over and over again, then that becomes the acceptable culture. It's okay to get away with this stuff. No one's going to call you on it. So we can do it now, you know, and those one or two people (laughs) who are doing it get away with it and terrorize the rest of the team half the time <laughs> yeah. so yeah we've all we've all worked in those uh, environments before we sure have yeah sure have. so we're going to get into the um the framework that you mm. actually kind of touched on at our our event but before we do like why do you think people don't have these conversations in the workplace what are the biggest reasons stopping them mm. usually they're just afraid you know they feel uncomfortable to have the conversations and it's funny one of the things I often point out is that When we talk about this concept of the challenging conversation or the difficult conversation or the crucial conversation or whatever word you want to use, the nature of it is that it is going to be emotionally tricky. That's kind of what defines a challenging conversation. So there's three, one of the the kind of main models talks about the three factors, which is that emotions are running high 
Um, there's a lot at stake and opinions vary <laughs> a lot of the time. So if you think about it, if those conditions aren't there, then it's not a difficult conversation. So it's not going to feel hard. So you're going to do it. So, yeah, it's um, I think it's a little bit of, yeah, people who don't like conflict or feeling like they're upsetting other people. So I hear a lot of like I just want things to feel comfortable and I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want to create disharmony. Um, and, again, the reasons behind that are I think there's a few reasons. One is that we are wired that way. So, again, coming back to a geeky neuroscience perspective because I like to bring that in and how our brains are, um, we're actually wired to avoid that kind of thing because if you think about how we used to kind of have to get by from an evolutionary perspective, conflict is bad for relationships and relationships were important to survival because we had to live as part of a tribe. And so if you were the person who created a lot of conflict and got kind of kicked out of the cave, then you were the one who got eaten by the saber-toothed tiger <laughs> rather than having your people around you, then people were sort of wired to avoid that. And, again, there's a lot of research, I suppose, where they've shown how our brains light up and respond to social rejection and things like that the same way that they do to pain. So we're kind of wired to avoid that conflict and those feelings of discomfort. So that's one. Um, Leanne Davy in her book too, I've just read this, so it's quite fresh and I love the way she positioned a few things, but she also talks a bit about our upbringing, which I've seen come into play quite a few times and even my upbringing, you know, was a bit like this, where we get told things as a kid like if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Were you ever told that, Ellie? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And don't rock the boat. Don't rock, Don't cause trouble. Don't rock the boat, you know, just, just, just like be nice. <laughs> And there's a few of the really prominent authors in this space that bring out that distinction. There's a difference between being nice and being kind. You know, you when you're a leader, being clear with someone is actually kind, like letting them know if they're not on track is kind because otherwise you just let them go off on the wrong track and not perform or not get where they want to get. And that's not very kind, right, when you think about it. So there's a difference between nice and kind. But, yeah, we get told that. We also get told to you know, when, when it comes to someone in a position of power, for example, like our teachers and our coaches and so on, we get told, oh, don't rock the boat, don't be the troublemaker, just accept it, you know, when something's unfair and we speak up like kids do, mm. you know, just accept it. So there's a little bit of that. I think there's a bit of, you know, nature in our wiring and a bit of nurture in our upbringing. Yeah. I think yeah. that's why it's so important to have um, frameworks that you've kind of put together to lean on a little bit because it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. No. So that's why no. you need help with this. <laughs> no, or then you get you do actually get the other end of the spectrum where you do have people where it comes very naturally because culturally they're very used to being direct or mm. very upfront and very candid, but then they don't make people safe. And so you get the other end where you need to get them leaning back towards you can still have the conversation, but let's put a framework around that to make it more safe for people so that they know that this is a dialogue and yeah. 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 So frameworks, I mean frameworks are, this is what I say in a lot of my training, frameworks are just tools. You know, they're just a structure for you to work with, but it's awfully helpful in helping you prepare, which is the real value of something like this. Yeah. Preparing amazing. and giving it thought before you go in. Well, um, we're going to go through it now. So, like, what mm. should someone do um, to prepare for this kind of meeting, like going into it, thinking about how they're behaving and all of that? What kind of advice would you have? Um, well, I would usually suggest they work through a bit of a framework. So the one I teach, for example, I often send out a worksheet or work through a worksheet and get them to think about all of the steps so that they can go into it really clear on what it is that the issue is that they want to raise, what they want to say, what they're not trying to say, that kind of thing. So preparation is massively helpful. <laughs> and, in fact, again, this coaching group that I just came off, they all pretty much said, well, after your training, I prepared for the next feedback conversation I had. 
And I went in so much more confident and it went so much better. <laughs> and if that's the big takeaway they get to prepare, then I'm always happy with that. So, yeah. So things like what issue you want to address. Outcome. Yeah, like what is the core issue? So that's because yeah. that's one of the steps in the framework is really naming the issue. So yeah. that means a bit of thought. What is the core issue? Yeah. If you can't articulate that, then the other person's going to have trouble understanding that as well. Mm-hmm. What do you really want? These are the sorts of questions I would ask a lot of my clients it's funny again just working through this with them makes them go more prepared even if they don't write anything down what do you really want in this situation and what don't you want because if you think about what you don't want even as a start that usually brings more clarity around what you do want so yeah a lot of a lot of planning to me is important and often writing things down is really helpful because it helps them to get the words out in the moment if that makes sense Mm. Mm. yeah great okay so get them to prepare beforehand and then do you want to take us through sort of the framework a little bit yeah yeah absolutely and there's a few steps so happy for you to share the the pdf with the framework on it because it might be hard for people to follow yeah sure (laughs) um but essentially I guess the whole conversation if you like is broken up into three big chunks and then the first chunk is the one that we do a bit more preparation around. So the first chunk is often referred to as kind of like the opening of the conversation, so the opening statement, if you like, and then there's lots of steps in that, so we'll get to that in a minute. And that is really about basically framing the conversation and trying to let the person know that it's important. So you want to speak about something that's, you know, been happening, but setting it up to be really clear around this is what I want to talk to you about and why. So, again, I'll dig into that in a bit more detail in a minute. The step two is often just referred to as the interaction or I often talk about as the engaging step where you just have a dialogue. And that sounds really straightforward, but a lot of times people don't you know they'll kind of just launch into their piece and don't stop and actually listen (laughs) so the opening part is to say here's what I really want to talk about and here's what I want to share with you and why and now I'd like to hear from you and then stop and listen and have a two-way conversation and that's where the curiosity comes in and then the third step is the kind of so what so the resolution what's next what are we going to do for going forward to make sure that this doesn't happen again or what are we agreeing to or committing to so opening the conversation and then having a engaging two-way dialogue and then the um resolution does that make sense yeah and then beyond that though there's lots of steps in the opening step and what I found is that most people and I'm going with a particular model at the moment I tend to change around models depending on who I'm working with um this is the one I shared in the leadership one the Susan Scott one which is pretty pretty effective so when you're so if you imagine when you're opening this up, I guess the, the whole purpose, this is something that you sort of execute within maybe 30 seconds to a minute, but you've really thought through how you're gonna open up this conversation and let the other person know that you want to talk about something, it matters, why it matters, what the real issue is, and then kind of invite them in. So the first step as we talked about earlier is actually to name the issue. So what is the issue that you want to talk about? You know, what's the, the kind of core of it and the guts of it? And it's, this is the bit where I suppose often requires a bit of thinking. So, you know, first to give you an example, I was working with a client a while ago and she was talking about a particular situation that was happening and she really struggled to name the issue. And then eventually she kind of just nailed it after we went all around and dug in a bit deeper, she figured out what it was. And often it's like the bigger issue. So it's about um, the nature of our relationship or the impact of your performance on the team or the way your behaviour is impacting the client or something like that. So it's kind of like what is the core issue? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So taking the time to really pinpoint it. And if there's lots of little things, you know, when we talked about lots of little things, it's like how do you capture that in one sentence almost, what the core of the issue is. So you're putting a name on it. 
And then the next step usually, and these don't always have to be in this order, but this order works pretty well, is to give an example that really illustrates that. And I guess this is where it can get a bit um, nuanced, but how can you describe the example as concisely as possible, as specifically as possible, and as objectively as possible? So again, this comes into a lot of the other training I do around giving feedback, but a really good way to think about that is how can you describe the situation in which the example occurred, the behaviour or the action that the person did, so what you saw and what you heard, not your assumptions or your interpretation, just what you saw and what you heard, <laughs> and then the impact of that. Does that make sense? So, mm. you know, yesterday in the team meeting you, I saw you do this and I observed that and you're just describing it like you're watching it on a video recording rather than what we often do, which is we kind of jumped into, you know, you were being really aggressive or something like that, which is more your your judgment, I guess, of what they did. And the problem with that approach, just if it isn't sort of clear, is that it's really easy for the other person to go, well, no, I wasn't. <laughs> and then you're stuck. You can't go anywhere from there, you know, because you're saying, well, I think that was aggressive. And they're like, well, I don't think it was aggressive. And then you just can't get anywhere from that. Mm. So naming the issue, giving an example to illustrate, just one if you can, like one or two at the most, just really clear specific examples. And then talk about the impact that that's having on you. And this is the part where a lot of people struggle if they're not really comfortable talking about feelings and emotions because this part's really quite often the best way to describe that impact is to talk about the emotions that it stirred up in you. So it made you feel really upset or it made you feel really disregarded or not valued or whatever that is that's true to you in terms of your emotions. And, again, people find this a bit uncomfortable sometimes but it can really convey that message that this matters to you when you do that like it has a lot of gravity I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you where somebody will sort of talk about how they felt about something I don't know it just brings a different tone to the conversation and it makes the person realize oh this is actually really impacting you it kind of doesn't attack that person because you're making yes. it like yourself yes exactly that's yeah. right and I, I saw something that was talking about the fact that we often we're often really subjective about describing the other person's behavior so we'll give our opinion on their behavior or our assumption about it and then we're often a bit more objective about ourselves when it should be the other way around like you know it's okay to say how you felt and that's just how you felt and yeah they can't well they can argue with that but they don't get very far if you said hey yesterday when you did this thing it made me feel really upset they can't say well no you weren't upset <laughs> it's like yeah so again you're sort of making it just very I don't know just very objective it just makes the whole thing less threatening again mm. so yeah less defensive which is the whole point of this framework right to make it less <laughs> less defensive and more more of an open conversation so so naming the issue giving an example talking about how it made you feel or the impact on you and it has to be really genuine of course like you know dig deep and think about what that that impact really was for you um, and another step is to talk about why this matters so what's at stake in the situation so for example um, is there a risk to results in the team or is there a risk to the working relationship or what's at stake? So what is it that is making this an issue worth raising? Um, and some people would say to use the words at stake because that can also have a big impact when you say there's a lot at stake here. I'm concerned about this and this and this. And again, from a leadership perspective, sometimes that's valuable because you can present you know, the kind of impact and, and why this is an issue from lots of different perspectives that the person might not have seen. So from the perspective of the team or the customers or your stakeholders or whatever it is that matters. Um, you can see there's a lot of steps, right? Mm. <laughs> but this is really good. This is exactly what people want. And I'm imagining that 
our listeners are probably like scribbling notes and go, <laughs> that's what I do when I listen to podcasts where I have to take yeah. out, you know, like start writing notes and start thinking about it. So I think it's really good to go into detail. Yeah. Um, well, then they're all prompts to make you think it through properly. That's the whole point with any yeah. framework is really the prompts. That's right. Um, so after you talk about what's at stake, the other thing that's, again, we sort of talk about this as a bit of an optional step, but it's really good to include if you can, is talk about your contribution to the problem. So again, from a preparation perspective, this makes you think about how have I contributed to this issue? So it's not all on them. What could you have done differently? You know, what could you do differently in future? So what what have you made in terms of contributions? So sometimes that might just be for a leader, for example, who's had that thing going on for a long time and they haven't brought it up. It can be as simple as saying, look, I recognise that I probably should have thought this up much earlier and I've let it sit for too long. And that's enough because the real purpose of this step is one, to make you think about your own role, <laughs> but two, almost like a almost like leaning into it a bit with a bit of vulnerability and showing that you recognise you're not perfect. You know, it's a bit of a show of good faith that I know there's two people involved here. So, yeah, what is it that's your contribution to the issue? I think that's really effective as well because I think that's what you want. You want to, as a leader, you probably are partially responsible for some things Mm. that go wrong in your team and I think it's good to say, you know, perhaps I wasn't clear enough when I said X, Y, Z or perhaps, you know, I didn't tell you the deadline or it wasn't communicated to you I think it's a really powerful step that one yeah absolutely and a lot of the um a lot of the work a lot of the frameworks and things that I teach I guess a lot of this is coming back to intent right so what is your intent in the conversation and how do you want this conversation to go and to me going into it with the intent of I don't know everything and I'm not perfect and I could be at fault here too is the right mindset to go in because again you know you could have someone who's who's doing one of these things that you have to have a difficult conversation about. And it's actually because they have no clarity around your expectations. You know, you haven't told them, like you said, Ali, what, what you expect or what good looks like. And they're just floundering and they don't know. So they're just trying to make it up as they go along or they're trying to do their best or they've made lots of assumptions, you know, and a lot of my experience whenever I teach people this or when they go through it is that so often if you take this approach, the other person had no idea that that was the impact they were having and they'll be quite taken aback. And if you tackle it like this, which is this really gentle, let's come at it together, I really want to have a conversation, I'm really prepared to listen, it kind of brings the defences down really quickly and then they'll lean into the conversation. So I've heard stories of tears and hugging (laughs) and all sorts of things when people, because if you think about receiving this, like if someone came to you and they they took this approach and I'll kind of summarise it at the end, it's pretty hard to react to it. Like you can still <laughs> yeah. react defensively, but usually that's, again, just like a brain-based threat response kicking in and people just need a bit of time and then they come back to it. So, yeah, your chances of success are like pretty good if you take this tack mm. because you're being really vulnerable and you're being really open, which is why that step is important. What have you contributed? You know, you're, you're not perfect. You're a human too. So what have yeah. you contributed? Yeah, Even if it's just not bringing it up earlier. Um, And then the final step is really just saying something along the lines of wanting to resolve the issue. So sort of indicating quite explicitly, I really want to work this out and genuinely why you want to work that out. So I really want us to have a good working relationship. So I'd love to sit down and talk with you about this. So it's sort of like wrapping up the, you know, here's the issue. Here's some examples of what I've seen. Here's how it made me feel. This is important because here's what I contributed, you know, if I've contributed something and I really want to resolve this. So let's have a conversation. And that's the final step is just asking them to respond basically. So that sounds like a lot of steps, but once you actually plan it out, like a bit of an opening statement or points, it's sort of like a less than one minute bit. (laughs) 
So you're rolling this out and inviting them into the conversation with all of these great pieces to frame it. And then that's when you go into the listening piece. That's when you go into the interaction. Mm. And that's where you need to just be quiet and let them talk (laughs) for a while and ask lots of questions and bring in all that great curiosity and openness. Mm. So does that make sense? It does. That's so interesting as well. Like I think that's such a different way to approach these kind of conversations. And should you have this type of conversation like, you said these are all like sort of problem-based conversations, but mm-hmm. should you have them like as soon as something small happens, you, you kind of go through this process or is it yeah. just a case of? Well, I think, again, it depends on your, if you're talking about from a leadership perspective, like leaders with their teams, then I think, yes, providing what I would call feedback though in the moment tends to avoid these conversations. So I often talk about that. If you give really immediate real-time feedback and you make sure that people are clear about expectations, then you don't end up having these conversations. These come up a lot more. I do hear them come up with leaders and their teams, but I actually hear them come up more with peers. So people who are, you know, having issues with their colleagues or mm. someone else in the business who's not their team member. Mm. So yes, I would say having having a feedback conversation in the moment is a really, really good skill to have. Again, People struggle with it sometimes, but if you, you know, have the tools and you practice, then it tends to get a lot easier over time. Yeah, yeah. But for a big conversation like this, I wouldn't try and have it in the moment. I would always plan and take a bit of time just to get clear on all of those questions about what do you really want and what is the big issue and why does it matter and all that stuff. So it's more heartfelt and Mm. more thought through. Yeah, so feedback in the moment and then bigger conversations if need be. Hopefully not because you've had the feedback in the moment. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. But even with feedback, like so when I teach feedback conversations, so for example the sessions I've just been running through this fun period of doing everything online, (laughs) (laughs) um, the model that I teach actually has a step that I call intent, which is kind of a bit about some of what we've just talked about, like here's why I'm having this conversation with you or I want to provide this feedback for this positive reason so that when you give the pe- feedback, people know it's coming from a good place. And I think you can do that in the moment as well. So you can say, hey, I'd like to give you a bit of feedback about that presentation because I really want you to succeed next time around or I, you know, I know it's important to you to hone those skills or whatever is the positive reason that you're sharing that. Um, mm. And then you describe the feedback in that really objective way, but they know where it's coming from. It's from yeah, that's a really, that's really great advice um and I'm going to flip it a little bit because when we were at the event we've obviously approached this whole subject from a leadership point of view but there were so many people at our (laughs) event who were like I don't have a very good leader Um, and so it's all very well and good talking about this framework but if they're not going to use it then how am I supposed to kind of manage it Mm. um what are your thoughts on that like what if someone's sitting there being like oh my manager's terrible can they do this back to a manager yeah totally (laughs) (laughs) absolutely (laughs) And a lot of the, because I end up doing a lot of this in my coaching relationships as well. So someone will come to me with an issue and they didn't come to me saying, hey, can you coach me through a difficult conversation? They'll just come saying I'm having this issue with my manager or my, I work a lot in government. So sometimes it's not the manager, but it's like a more senior person and it's very hierarchical. So it's a bit tricky to navigate. And yeah, I'll talk them through the same thing, even if it's like a watered down version where how can you get clear about the intention of what it is that you need to speak with them about so they know where you're coming from and they can see that you're on the same page and you've got a bit of a common, um, some common ground and a common goal, if you like, and then give whatever feedback or go into that conversation. So yeah, and I can think of an example recently where one of my coaching clients, she just isn't getting what she needs from her manager in terms of time and support. 
And so it was making her struggle because she didn't have enough clarity around whether she was on the right path. And yeah, there had been a few sort of scattered comments here and there that made her a bit fearful of whether she was on the right path and she didn't want to repeat mistakes that a predecessor had made, but didn't really know what he needed. And so she sat down with him and, and basically went through this kind of piece, not so much around examples, but um, but she did have some to share, for example, you know, meetings that got pulled at the last minute, that kind of thing. And the core of the issue there was um, wanting to be just wanting more time so that she felt more valued that he was prepared to invest in understanding her and she could understand him. So it came back to the relationship, even though it seemed at surface level like I don't know what he wants in terms of results. It was actually about the relationship, Mm. you know, and that being a stronger piece. So, yeah, absolutely you can use it to manage up. I think you just have to always um, be mindful of the person and the relationship and how you would pick pick and choose your words a little bit more in those situations. And one of the things I always get people to think about too when you come back to this, how can you be clear about your intent and how can you make it safe for them is what do you know about that person and what's important to them? So if I was um, actually, and I did this with one of our, one of your members not so long ago, if you're talking about this sort of thing and it's managing up with their boss, then I would get them to think through, well, what matters to your boss? Like is it results? Is it performance? Is it being a good leader, like what is it that motivates them? And so then how can you talk about what's at stake in a way that's tailored to what matters for that person? Mm, That's really good advice. Yeah, I mean, that comes back to like the psychology stuff, I suppose, like like trying to understand other people, which is back to the original part of our conversation, (laughs) trying to understand other people's motives and drivers and values. And the more you can do around that, which is why preparation helps, then you can target things a little bit better as well. Hmm. And what do you do like if, because um, I think a lot of places probably need someone like you to go in and <laughs> present to them, which you do actually, don't you? You go into companies and kind of help them with these types of leadership skills. Yeah. Is that right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yep. If, um, so without you, although you are available to go in, I know, <laughs> um, without you there, is there is there possibility for change for someone to be like, you know, I think as a team we need to be doing X, Y, Z. We need to get our communications clearer because I, I often hear the same thing, like the leaders or the managers just aren't providing a safe, supportive environment. Mm. Therefore, everyone in the team is scattered. Yeah. Is there like, how do you broach that if you're someone working in a team like that? It's a tricky one because I think in my personal view, I suppose, everybody plays a role in creating this kind of environment, if you if you want to put it that way, like a climate or a culture where it's okay to have these conversations and conflict can be healthy rather than just always tricky. Um, I think everyone can play a role and, I mean, a lot of, I guess a lot of people as an individual team member can have this kind of a conversation and bring it up, but I do think there's a pretty strong role for leaders to play as well. So, I mean, I guess a lot of companies talk about the fact that it starts from the top and it does, but it also has to come from the bottom as well. Mm. So if I was working with a team, I'd be getting the leader to think about their role in creating the right climate and particularly how they respond when people do be brave and bring up things because that can have a huge impact on whether they'll do it again. Um, But similarly, people in the team need to be open to that as well. So, yeah, I'm not sure if it answers your question, but it's kind of like a bottom-down top-down, bottom-up approach, you know, everybody needs to be on board with it. So there's a lot of teams who are really focused on this sort of thing would set up things like one of my clients, they they set up what they call working agreements. So within Mm. teams they have a conversation, usually a structured conversation, about how we're going to work together and what's okay and what's not okay. 
what behaviours do we want to demonstrate and how do we want to treat each other? And they kind of almost put in, it's like a team charter, like an agreement beforehand. And then that also makes it easier to tackle some of this stuff later on because the expectations are clear. So and they can call that's each a, other on it. That's great. And I think that's another reason why you have brand values as a company yes, business because yeah. you read those values. And if everyone knows what they are, then you're, yeah. Well, that's what I was just about to say too, because values, organisational values are often around these types of things. But And I've done a lot of work with organisational values as well, helping them to come up with new values or refresh them or think about what they really mean in terms of like actual behaviour mm. in a day-to-day environment. And with some organisations, that will be very different from one team to the next. But what I do see a lot of too is that there will be values in place and they're not being lived and breathed. So classic is respect. Respect mm. is a value in many, many, many organisations. Um, and respect is often not at all being shown, <laughs> which is why they'll have someone come in and run these sessions around, you know, how to have a difficult conversation. And a lot of times when I do get brought in to run these things, it's because something's been unaddressed for a long time. There's been an issue festering and things have become bad and it's about, oh, how can we fix this problem as compared to how do we create a climate and a culture where we don't get there, you know. We talk about how we want to operate and when a behaviour comes up that's not okay we address that straight away and it's accepted you know it's part of the call it out kind of environment you can call it out kindly but you still call it out mm. so yeah I would love it if all organizations or teams started there you know when they form they they sit down and say how do we want to work together and why does that matter to us before they kick off you know mm, I really like that because as you said it's going to be different for different teams depending on who's in there and how they like to work and what yeah, your that's it. are that's well, great. even something like respect and, you know, respect is probably a classic one. I did, I've done a fair bit of work in um, public sector organisations and sometimes they're quite varied in the teams that they have. So what does respect look like in one team would be very different, say, if it was an internal IT team, for example, compared to what respect might look like in a community-facing team where they're interacting with a diverse population of members of the community or something like that. It can be completely yeah. different and almost like a different level of depth in how they would interpret it. Interpret it, mm-hmm. And it doesn't actually matter. There's no right or wrong. Like there might be a set of base expectations for the whole organisation, but when you personalise it and you get people to say what does this look like and what does this not look like, that is the conversation that leads to more of an agreement around. And everyone contributes. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. And have a discussion about it where you have a different view as well. And that's the other thing about this whole idea of difficult conversations and you can have conflict that's healthy, which is what that book that I just read was about, the one that talked about the conflict habit and it's what Radical Candor is about and there's a few different kind of movements I've seen some organisations pick up in that space because they know that some conflict is healthy. It creates better results and better decisions and better debate and everyone gets to surface their ideas and it's considered normal and okay rather than being a sign of something being wrong. Yeah. But that comes back a lot, again, to individual personalities and how comfortable they are with conflict. And, and so the people who love the conflict have to recognise that the people who don't love the conflict need to have a different tack. Like you can't come at it hard if somebody's going to just get upset and fearful. <laughs> yeah. And those people have to learn how to speak up in a way that works for them as well. So it comes yeah. back to knowing your team and setting up all those kind of ways of working but nuancing it a little bit. Mm. It's so interesting. No wonder you love this line of work. Yeah, can you tell? Absolutely <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, I love it too. Well, and part of the reason I love it is because I've seen, and this is how I ended up in this kind of niche, because, again, I'm really passionate about giving people the toolkit, like giving them the words and the tools and the frameworks to try stuff out and do these differently. 
And even when I when I run my training, for example, and I'm saying, you know, one of the steps is to share your intent, I'll give them words, like actually say, here are some ways that you can say that and I'll give them words and then they'll try it out and sometimes it'll work for them and sometimes they'll tweak it. But people don't know where to start. Mm. They're like, right, I've got to share my intentions really quickly. How do I do that? Like what do I actually say? And, you know, I'll make them do skills practice in the moment, like role plays or, you know, practice talking about a real situation. And the whole purpose I'll get them to do that is because once they try it out, they'll quickly go, oh, that didn't work for me. I'll try saying it like this instead. And then when it comes to the real situation, they've tried it out. <laughs> it's a bit like giving a talk, right? You don't go up yeah. and do a talk on stage without doing it out loud a few times first because you want to see how the words come out of your mouth. And yeah. it's the same for this sort of stuff because you get caught up in your own head, you get caught up in your emotions and so, yeah, there's so much value. I've just seen it work time and time again in just taking the time to think about how do I want this to go? What do I really want? How do I want to be in this conversation? Mm. How can I prepare for that and think it through? But then get in there and hold all of that very lightly, right, because I don't know what's happening for the other person. So don't jump in and think, well, if I say this, they'll say that, and then I'll say this and they'll say that because that doesn't work either. <laughs> so how do you kind of prepare but then go in there ready for whatever happens and just to be open and curious. And yeah. Every time I've coached someone through this, they always come out and go, do you know what? I think it was thinking about it was more nerve-wracking than the actual conversation. <laughs> but, and, but, but what I would say to them a lot of the time is the only reason it went as well as it did is because you did think it through and you did prepare. So you might not think that, it, like, you know, like I always say to them, and what is it that you did that made that conversation work? Because it is often the time they took to set it up well. Mm. you know not just a coincidence yeah and those words that you use like sometimes like I remember have like practiced like a difficult conversation with like an old boss with my partner and then he'd be like oh my god don't say that and I was like oh, I just wasn't <laughs> thinking about it I was just saying what I was going to say and he's like no no that that won't go down well so you need to like you actually yes. do need to say it out loud to someone and just a few times just to get used to like okay so that's don't maybe don't say that and say this and yeah. remember like in the situation you're going to have like your heart might be going faster and you're going to be feeling a bit anxious yes. so sometimes it's not going to go as you planned but like you're no. saying it's just about preparing and kind of well that's and coming to it as genuinely and as openly as you can and actually because that's a really quick common question Ali is that people will say well what if I have this conversation I do all this planning I work out what I'm going to say I open up the conversation I follow all these steps and then the person just gets angry or they get upset and that will happen sometimes and I always talk to them about well you know, you can only control your own behaviour and your own approach. So you're still coming to it as prepared as you can with the best intentions that you can. If they react a certain way, well, one one thing, because this does happen sometimes, is that you can say um, in that moment, you can just say to the person, well, look, you know, I'm wondering if we should regroup on this, you know, both take a bit of space to cool down or to process or whatever, and then let's come back to it. And sometimes you do need to do that because the other person's been a bit blindsided and they're just having a response. And again, it's really human, right? So a really human way to tackle that is just give them a bit of space and come back to it. But do come back to it. Say, let's regroup tomorrow or the next day and set a time in because otherwise you just avoid the difficult conversation for a bit longer. <laughs> and the other thing is just to recognise how they're feeling. Like you say, look, I can I can see that you're a bit upset. You know, I'll give you a moment or like it's okay for that. That is going to happen sometimes. But people worry about it happening when it's a very human thing to happen. And the same as if you get upset, that's also very normal. And I just tell people to call it out. Mm. Or if they've written notes and they say, can I take notes in? I can't take notes because that seems weird that I take notes. And I say, you know what I say to them? Just take in your notes and say, look, I hope you don't mind. I've got a few dot points here because this conversation is really important to me and I wanted to prepare. Mm. 
And like, how would you respond to that? You would just yeah. think, oh, okay, this conversation is really important to them. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's all you would think. You wouldn't yeah. think, oh, they have to have notes and that's an issue. And it's a good reminder about, you know, we are all human because I think a lot of the time we try and be professional and you shouldn't cry at work. And, you know, yes. you have all these expectations put on you that you have to be composed all of the time in the workplace. And like you said, that isn't often the case when you're having difficult conversations. So that's a really good reminder. No, and I think there's a bit of movement away from that now. People are starting to realise that bringing your whole self, and I mean that doesn't mean let everything hang out and not be professional or not, you know, manage yourself effectively, of Mm. course, but it's okay to show emotions and feelings and, you know, a lot of this comes back to my counselling background as well. Like I've seen the value that can come from simply like listening and demonstrating empathy, for example, and that involves bringing up feelings and showing that you can see how someone else is feeling. And even though a lot of people might think that's not the right thing to do in a work environment, once you've done it and tried it out and you realise how it makes other people feel really heard and understood, like they kind of don't go back, you know, after they've tried that out. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it can be really powerful. And, yeah. I mean, all of this, like you said, this stuff about being human, that's exactly why I love all of this. It all comes back to everything I do comes back to you're a human, they're a human. <laughs> How can you have this conversation or manage this in a really human way? Mm-hmm. And still, still a thoughtful way and still a way that, you know, if, if need be shows your leadership, if you are a leader who has to sometimes manage expectations, you know, that's where this framework can help you to do that in a really human kind of way. Yeah. You know, yeah. still lean into the conversation with openness and vulnerability but mm. but address what needs to be addressed. Yeah. Um, I think you've done an amazing job of just summarising that and I know that you've kind of summarised it because there's so much more work you can do with people. So if people did want to work with you in some way, like where can they kind of find out about you and what you do? Yeah, um, probably the best place to connect with me is LinkedIn at the moment. Um and then I'm just in the middle of redoing a website. So the lisamalloy.com website <laughs> will be ready in a little while as well. Yeah. And Lisa spells her name L-E-I-S-A. Lisa yes. Malloy. The kids used to call me Leisa at school. <laughs> <laughs> Did they? Yes. You know, because that's what kids do. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I'd just point that out, especially because of LinkedIn. So, But I'll leave your link in the show notes and yeah. your website as well because you're re- revamping your website. I am, I am, yes. So that's great. So, yeah, so people can connect with you there. And you do um, one-on-one coaching, consulting as well. Yeah, so mostly I do a lot of um, training and workshops and that's probably my – I guess I love doing the training and workshops because I find when people are in groups learning these skills together, they get so much more out of learning from one another and realising that they're not alone in some of these struggles with these sorts of conversations. So, yeah, I run a lot of workshops, but very much around here are the skills and I'm going to give you lots of tools to go away and learn them and, yeah, a bit of one-on-one coaching as well. And sometimes I facilitate the conversations as well. So I'm like just the external person that comes in, especially around things like ways of working or values or I like that. And I do a bit of Lego serious play. Have I ever told you about that? No, but I've seen you on LinkedIn with that. Yeah, it's a little bit on hold given the COVID crisis yeah. <laughs> at the moment. But that's like a different, it's a whole different conversation, but it's actually just another tool that's really useful in having some of these conversations and getting people to use metaphors and, you know, hands-on experiences to talk about what matters to them. So that can be really good too. Yeah, amazing. Hmm. You're doing so much. And um, Lisa's also a member. So for those of you who are listening who are members, you can book a mentor hour with Lisa. Um, yeah, you've done so much for She Mentors. So thank you so much for being on the podcast, speaking at our events, and also just looking after all of our lovely oh, members. No, thank you. I get just as much value back from the group as well. So oh, I love that. That's great. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Lisa. No worries. Talk Thanks, Ellie. Bye. Bye. 
I hope you enjoyed that episode with Lisa Malloy. I will include all of the links in the show notes for you to check out. And if you're interested in connecting with Lisa and lots of other women in business for the Mentor Hour, then we would love to welcome you to our brand new membership, which has launched just recently. You can jump over to shementors.com.au and join this incredible movement. Thanks. See you next time.